Hi, welcome to the Brothers F Bookcast. I was going to call it a Budcast, but that doesn't make any sense. The Brothers F Bookcast. And today we are discussing a short story by the uh, late, great writer David Foster Wallace. Incredible. It's just an incredible story. Can I, can I tell you how I experienced the story? Yes, please do. Yeah, let's so, hear it. I was listening to the thing on the way to, uh, on a long drive to Tennessee in the rain, in the dark. Um, and that's just, I have to say what an incredible, I I normally don't, um, like to endorse, uh, listening over reading. I understand why people do it and I, I do it a lot. So there's zero judgment, but what an incredible way to experience this story. Um, for so many reasons. Uh, here, here's a few, though. Um, so I don't know if you remember the line about, you know, the high beams not working in the fog. I was, lit- I was having that experience as the line was being read in the car. Or the, the line about how <laughs> we think about time like a car, and the present moment is the, is the hood of the car, and you're driving forward and, and time is advancing in your car. It, it was just such, an, such a, an uncanny and strange way to experience the story. I mean, I, I you know, I got to the end. And I was, I, was uh, I just had to pull over, you know. I, I pulled over and I, I drove into a strip mall and uh, parked in front of a Starbucks. And I, I had a good cry and then I went through the drive-thru. So, like, obviously, I'm going to give this thing a rave, but, I, you know, I don't want to discourage you all from uh, expressing critical thoughts if uh, critical thoughts are there in your head. I mean, I, I don't know. If, I, I guess the, the, the narrator is a little too exceptionally... Um, I mean, maybe this is part of the shtick, is that he has this incredibly high opinion of himself as being, like playing a game that's, you know, 40 levels above everybody else's head, you know? Um, to me, like, if that is true, it's a little unrealistic that he's just such a genius and so so brilliant and such a, you know, like, on such a high level um, that literally nobody could understand him. Um, but, I, yeah, I guess, I guess... You know, he is the narrator and he could be, he's just being like a little um, unreliable there. And we just have to distrust him when he says that he's the, you know, the one, the one dude who can really get down to the bottom of his psyche. Yeah. And, uh, and on that note, like kind of related to that one thing um, that, you know, is, I actually think makes perfect sense in this book, but, uh, or in this uh, uh, story. Um, but you know, if you realize as you read through it, like the paragraphs in this, um, short story are very, very long. Like you have paragraphs that go on for four or five pages without an indentation or anything. Um, or sentences that go on for, yeah. Or sentences that go on. And, you know, it makes it, I think it adds to the whole element of, you know, the ghost kind of telling the story, what we, I, I, I would call a ghost, I guess, you know, in this case or his spirit or whatever, it's, you know, somewhat flow of consciousy. And in the same paragraph, he'll switch from talking about, you know, his psychologist to, you know, 
what he was going through and uh, his own personal experience and his experience at the marketing firm. And then, you know, oh, and now you probably want me to get to the moment, the final moment while I was in my car. Like that all happens in, you know, one paragraph. And uh, right. I think it adds kind of to this, um, you know, this element of, of, you know, I guess it's how I would imagine a, a spirit or a ghost would tell the story. There's no, it kind of adds how he's talking about time and how time is so different. I think he does a very masterful job just by, you know, the paragraph length and just going from one. Oh yeah. Well, going from one train of thought to the next, you know, that kind of is, it it kind of reflects, you know, his sense of time, you know, how he's talking about how time works so differently. Um, I think, you know, by having paragraphs transition from, you know, four different ideas in the same paragraph, I don't know. I I feel like that kind of added to the whole element of that. Um, But maybe that's just my opinion. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, I, I think, I think, I mean, I, I, I personally think that David Foster Wallace was a literary genius. Not all of his short stories are this good or even good. Some of them are actually, I didn't, I don't like, but I, I, he spent years working on this. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if there, if there's a lot that's in there, that's quite subtle and quite intentional. So I, I, I think that kind of analysis is totally fair game. Did you all catch the uh, the death of Ivan Ilyich illusion? Oh, what was it? Yes, the one in the uh, kind of pocket watch he had. Right. Um, yeah. Could you explain right. it? Yeah. So, so he has a pocket watch with the inscription, um, and I'm going to butcher. I'm going to butcher the Latin "respecte finem," which mm-hmm. is. Basically, I think that translates to keep the end in mind or remember the end, uh, which is um, the words inscribed on the watch of Ivan Ilyich and the death of Ivan Ilyich. So I, I think this story is is structurally, it's the same story as the death of Ivan Ilyich, right? You've got a person who's living a fundamentally fake life, and he uses death to transcend that fakeness, right? So he... You know, obviously there are some differences in, in in setting and tone. I mean, obviously it's they're very different stories, but fundamentally it's the same story. The sort of uh, Deus ex machina moment at the end, where their their falsity in life is transcended in death. But uh, David Foster Wallace gives away even more of the ending at the beginning by telling by telling the reader that uh, the story's all about what happens when you die. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I guess, um, you know, I, I originally obviously thought we, we had just read the death of Ivan Illich, you know, a few weeks before I was not able to partake in that podcast, but I did the reading. I'm thinking I would, but uh, I think the one big difference I found was, you know, I was trying to, obviously it's a connection to that story, but to me, the death of Ivan Illich did not, focus as much on this idea of, you know, being a fraud. You know, he does dwell on it for maybe, you know, a few lines. I don't know. I, I, I'm obviously they're connected because that Latin phrase, you know, obviously that was intentional by uh, David Foster Wallace. I tried very hard to find the connection and I don't think it was as, you know, large a connection as, as maybe so, one would think without having to because yeah. My personal take is I think the stories are very similar. I, I, when I read The Death of Ivan Ilyich, I picked up a lot more on the fraudulence aspect of not only Ivan Ilyich, but all his friends and associates 
and family members. Um, I thought the, the being a fraud was a major theme of the book. Now, it would be impossible to obsess more over being a fraud than the narrator does in the story. So obviously, it's less of a theme in The Death of Ivan Ilyich. But I, I think I, I personally saw that as the sort of the central tension of the book. But we, we don't need to beat that to death. I mean, I, I, I personally see the good old neon as a modern retelling of The Death of Ivan Ilyich. Yeah, I'm I'm cool with that interpretation. I mean, it, I can see the parallels, even if it's just sort of like a vague sense for me, more than those specific points that you brought up. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's this is his own beast. It it just it gets so I don't know meta about the way he's a fraud and the way he tries to put one over everybody else, and so intricate about the way he tries to manipulate every everybody else around him. And it's just like what like why you know like what's the what is his motivation for being such a fraud? Well, I, I don't. I don't think he's doing it on purpose. I think he, and I, 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 you know, there's there's certainly times where you you think, well, maybe you're not as much of a fraud as you think. So I remember right towards the beginning of the story where Doctor uh, Gustafsson has this moment of insight that he thinks is so big, where he tells him, "Well, you can't be so much of a fraud if you're willing to tell me that you're a fraud." So this this had not this thought had not penetrated. I will confess, had not even penetrated my consciousness at this point. But it was sort of there because when you read Dave, David Foster Wallace, the overwhelming sensation you get by reading his prose is authenticity and sincerity, which is sort of the ironic effect of this book, right? You you know you 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 get this this short story, you get. The, the prose feels extremely sincere, and I hadn't, I hadn't even sort of verbalized that paradox when Gustafsson gets there, and then he goes into this, like, meta-fraud, right? He's like, well, Gustafsson thinks he's so smart, but actually what I'm doing by confessing to be a fraud is calculated to, you know, to make myself look better, right? So there's – this guy is clearly trapped in his own head in a way that I – have some difficulty even imagining. Um, I think it's, I think that's exactly it, uh, Francisco. I think uh, in difficulty imagining. And when I was reading all this and I, I, I thought the same thing, like, wow, like how does this even occur to someone? And maybe this is a bit of a stretch, but it led me to believe that maybe the author, you know, David Foster Wallace, uh, this was something that, you know, he personally was battling with. And, you know, obviously uh, not to, get too psychoanalytic, but the points he brought up were really only points I could imagine one bringing up if, if that were something obsessed with. You know, maybe this was something the author was battling with himself. Maybe, you know, as you alluded to in the beginning, you know, it's, it's, it's just very hard to separate for me, like this story from that of David Foster Wallace, you know, from the start. Right. It's very hard for me to separate I, I, So, So there's that funny bit at the end where the uh, author intrudes into the fiction, right? So you're, you're, you're thinking the entire time, well, this story is about you, dude. And then David Wallace pops into the story at the very end, sort of randomly in, in a confused way. In my own, look, I, I haven't thought about this nearly hard enough, but my own personal interpretation is he did that because he didn't want people to think, this is what it's like to be David Foster Wallace, right? He injected himself into the story 
So we wouldn't just assume that all of these thoughts were his thoughts. But I, I'm still assuming that all of these thoughts were his thoughts. The metafictional twist at the end of the story is uh, is just his way of his defense mechanism, which is designed to throw us off the scent. Right? I think this story is a hundred. I mean, look, it's obvious, it's a character, but he's poured a lot of himself into this character. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, that was gosh. I mean, what what what, what was it at the end? He's like, oh, David Wallace. Uh, tries to imagine what could have driven this man to do this to himself, right? So it's, gosh, I'm blanking, but wasn't it like a lot of the above was what David Wallace would have imagined? You know, I, I think the idea. I think the idea is that this is like a golden boy, right? He's uh, yeah, he's just perfect. He's like that guy from your high school that you think has everything going for him. So when, when something tragic happens like this, you wonder, well, I guess maybe I didn't have access to his interiority in that the people I don't think have this experience actually do have this sort of anguished interior experience. So I think that's what he was going for. But I just, you know, I, I just think it's a shield, to be honest. I mean, I, I, maybe you have to think harder about the story, but I think he's just... He's just desperate for us not to think that Neil is David Wallace. So he just writes David Wallace into the story. Yeah, that seems like a clever reading of what's going on. My, for, I don't know, for me, I was thinking like, oh, is this like real? Like did David, like did David Foster Wallace open up his yearbook and see this picture, this, this dude picture and be like, oh my goodness, you know, like, wow, he killed himself. Like how tragic. And then just like spin out this entire sort of like fiction out of that to try to think of what what might have been going on. I mean, totally I think there's there's like some of these thoughts have to have been his own thoughts if only because they just get so ridiculously complicated, like you know, like spinning in and out and around to the point where like you imagine that he spent a lot of time thinking about these topics. And that kind of fam- fam- familiarity just makes me think that he he lived it himself, you know. I don't know, but like, I, I guess, I guess that's like an autobiographical detail. Like, did he actually have a classmate who committed suicide back then? Or was this just all some sort of random setup so that he could hide behind it? Like you said, Fran, I don't know. That's look, I don't have any evidence for that point of view. I, I just, um, I, I just, I think the, the introduction of the David Wallace character is a, minor flaw in an otherwise perfect short story. Um, why do you and think it's a flaw? What's up? Why, why do you think it's a flaw? Um, because it's so unexpected and it's so, it's so metafictional that it takes you out of the story. But like, who am I? Who am I to criticize this this story? I mean, I mean, he's not he's not like you know a completely untouchable figure. You know, we're we're allowed to say there are parts of his stories we don't like. No, no, no. I, there's, there's there's short stories by him that I just hate. Yeah, but this this is just so good. I mean, this it is, is it is really good. That's the thing. I've sounded like I'm such a downer about the story, but I did really enjoy it. Like, it's very well written, and it is it parts of it are fun to read, and it does really really get you deep down, like. Like it's it's a tragic and and it's just a tragic story to read and it's it's worth it for sure. 
Well, the part yep. that, got, yeah. that got me at the end was, okay, I'm just going to read this. The truth is you've already heard this, that this is what it's like, that it's what makes room for the universes inside you, all the endless invent fractals of connection and symphonies of different voices, the infinities you can never show another soul, and you think it makes you a fraud. The tiny fraction anyone else sees, of course you're a fraud. And that's that's the line that just destroyed me. Of course what people see is never you. And of course you know this. And of course you, it, I mean, the, the use of a co- of course here is just wonderful. And of course you try to manage wh- what part they see if you know it's only a part. Who wouldn't? It's called free will, Sherlock. But at the same time, it's why it feels so good to break down and cry in front of others or to laugh or speak in tongues or chant in Bengali. It's not English anymore. It's not getting squeezed through any hole. So th- this this is – so when I first read this short story, I was sort of – what's the word? It's not nonplussed. It's skeptical about the level of fraudulence that the narrator was claiming that he had. And I had a similar reaction to the death of Ivan Ilyich. I was like, you know, real people aren't are more complicated than this. But the more I thought about it, I mean, this really got to me. This this idea that you're a fraud, and 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 it is true because so much of your life is a performance. I mean, that that bit he does where where he briefly goes to the um, the charismatic church in Naperville and he starts speaking in tongues and you know falling backwards when the pastor lays hands on him and he's he decides that he's a fraud even as he doesn't realize that he's a fraud. I was thinking about this and and when when I he got to the lines of course you're a fraud, you know, I that really resonated with me. I was thinking about it later and I was like, well yeah, I I kind of am a fraud because I'm always presenting different aspects of myself to different people. But I feel like I totally disagree with that, okay? Like yeah. just the fact that you, I mean, I agree that we're complicated people and that we, every, and then we present ourselves, we're presenting only like a small idea of ourselves, right? But like, just because you get a slice of reality doesn't mean that the slice of reality is wrong or fraudulent, you know? But like, just because you see a part of me doesn't mean that I've committed some great, like I've bamboozled the rest of y'all and, and, and have like, you know emerged victorious as this like super meta thinker who can out like outwit you all you know it's like no you saw a part of me and there's more to me that doesn't mean this was a fraud it doesn't mean that we all have to be frauds all the time even if this dude definitely is so maybe him calling everybody else a fraud is his own defense mechanism no no look i think i think this guy really feels like a fraud and i think yeah i'm with you i think he's maybe even partially sociopathic but let's leave let's leave the diagnosis out of it for a second. Like he's definitely intentionally fraudulent in a way that most people aren't. But yeah, I'm willing to buy that. But if he accuses all of us of being fraudulent, I mean that's a much uh, you know okay. It's I'll, not I'll grant him the hypothesis. It's a much stronger claim. It's it's an absolution. Right? You're thinking of it as him saying like you're a fraud. Right? No, he's not pointing a finger. He's explaining why people feel why people feel so fake in the world. Because so much of our identities 
are are created in response to other people. And that identity that we create, we're only sharing a tiny fraction of who we really are. And as a result, and this, 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 I think I never consciously articulated this or thought this until reading this story. But as a result of the fact that you are fundamentally more complicated than uh, you can possibly express, and it, as a result of the fact that you can only show a tiny fraction of that complicated reality to other people, the result is that at some level you feel very fake because you're constantly yeah. you're constantly presenting different fractals of yourself, different fractions of yourself to the world, depending on the context. And it is a performance, and and that's that's and I to me that just feels extremely true. Now, does it mean I'm dishonest? Does it mean I'm a bad person? Well, no, but I, I don't think that's what he's saying either. I think I think this narrative. No, he does say, of course you're well, a fraud. I mean, yeah. I feel like that's implying a certain degree of dishonesty here, you know? Yeah, like, I get what you're saying, Fran, yeah. but like, well, like, to say, like, oh, we're all frauds because we, you know, like, curate the, the, the truths of ourselves depending on the context, right? It's like, well, you know... Like I see where you're coming from, but that that need not necessarily be true. Yeah, right. I mean, when, when I read not, this, it's not an accusation. I I really don't think he's like accusing people or saying that there's. I I think I think the implied words in this, of course, you're a fraud. I think the implied words here, of course, you feel like a fraud. Frank, right? yeah. When, when I read this, I, so I actually had. This actually, to me, was also kind of the crux of the story, but I had a bit of a different reaction to it when I read it. Okay, um, go. I actually kind of had a feeling of relief when I read that. Um, See, it was it was almost to the point where, you know, what? Of course, you're a fraud, right? But almost like, why wouldn't you be? You know, it's a natural thing to be, and that it's not necessarily something that's wrong, and that he was obsessing over an aspect of his life that in the end was frankly natural as he points when he says, of course, of course, of course, of course, this is something that's natural in us. And that's not inherently wrong. You know, what we, to, to kind of paraphrase what, what paraphrase and expand on what he said, you know, wouldn't you want the people around you to see the best of you? Wouldn't you, you know, obviously we're very complex individuals with very different, that experience different, you know, emotions and different, you know, just, different ideas and, and beliefs and our, our identity is complex, but wouldn't you want those around you to see the best of you, to see the aspects of you that you most enjoy? And I know in parts of this story, you know, he doesn't do that. And maybe that's why he obsesses over this more. You know, when he talks about when his sister got, gained weight, you know, he would crush to the side of the wall, you know. Yeah, but I, I feel like what he's getting at is that this is a natural thing and it's not something that's intrinsically evil. He may have used it in a way to, you know, kind of prop himself up, which caused him to think about it more. But I read this, I saw relief, like, well, of course, of course I want the, of course I want to paint a picture of myself that's not so. I'm not going to go sit at a dinner table, chew with my mouth open, tell people, you know, uh, all the, shitty things going on in my, in my, in my life. If there are, because one, you know, people usually don't care. And two, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> if you have empathy, you know, or, or you don't want people to see that part of you. You want to bring out the best part of you. And that's not necessarily, that's what he calls fraud, but I think it's more just, you know, kind of expressing that complex, 
the best aspect of that complex identity that you have. So I actually, I write this and I kind of, after a very, I will admit, depressing 40 or so pages that I, uh, I, I did think were pretty depressing. I read this and I'm like, you know what? Finally, you know, I, I kind of took a, a sigh of relief. I'm like, thank you. You're seeing, you, you're seeing what, you know, kind of what I was thinking, you know, you're, these things well, you're doing. I'm, the amazing thing about story is the guy diagnoses a problem that I didn't know I have. And then explains to me why it's not even actually an issue. Yeah. So I, I have this I mean, like huge moment of catharsis, like reading this paragraph. And I, I just, I want you to not read, li, I, I should say listening to this paragraph because I was listening in, in the car, listening to it in the car. I want you all to just imagine what it must have been like to, to be hearing these words while driving on a foggy night through Tennessee. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the ambiance there is, is unbeatable, Fran. I'm with you there. One clue that there's something not quite real about se- sequential time, the way you experience it, is the various paradoxes of time supposedly passing and of a so-called present that is always unrolling into the future and creating more and more past behind it. As if the present were this car. I was in a car while listening to this. Nice car, by the way. And the past is the road we've just gone over. and The future is the headlit road up ahead. We haven't gotten to, and time is the car's forward movement, and the precise present is the car's front bumper as it cuts through the fog of the future. So that, it's now, and the tiny bit later is a whole different now, etc. I'm not going to keep reading to belabor the point, but just just imagine, imagine listening to this while driving through a foggy highway at night. So if nothing else, we, the Brothers F Podcast, recommend that you listen to the story while driving on a foggy night through Tennessee. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, imagine, imagine, imagine having that experience purely by happenstance. All right. I, I think I've raved enough. Do you guys have, do you guys have things you want to – I feel like I'm maybe monopolizing this conversation a little too much. So I'm going to – I mean, one thing – if, if one thing is just the story was a little frustrating for me almost, right? Because like – you hear him struggling with this, like, like, like constantly self-referential, like self-loathing and sense of like he's a fraud and uh, like constantly putting one over other people so he can be an even deeper and more subtle fraud and prove that he's like smarter than everybody else around him. Right. And the whole time I'm like, just thinking to myself how this is like totally all self-inflicted, you know, like, Okay, the guy, I think we can say safely, the guy is just mentally ill, and this is just a thing he has, and he can't help it. But, like, it's frustrating to read it all and be like, man, if you just, you know, like, grabbed a beer and went fishing and just, like, chilled out with some buddies and didn't spend all this time trying to do this, like, like, overwhelmingly, step-by-step, like, like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It just, it kills me, right? I guess the the key thing is he can't help it. And you can't just tell mentally ill people like, oh, get better and expect them to get better. But it's it just so frustrating to read in that sense. Right. Uh, right. I mean, you kind of want to shake the guy and slap him in the face and tell him to go spend a little time at a soup kitchen. But and that wouldn't work because he would go to the soup kitchen and get an even deeper layer of, of fraudulence. Right. In his eye, right. Because he's at the soup kitchen and he over your eyes by making you think he was cured, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, right. it, I, I agree with – it was actually like a little frustrating to read this because in the – well, you know he kind of kills himself early on. But the more you read, 
the more you realize he kind of killed himself over, I'll trivially say nothing, like over something that he was just overthinking. Like, um, that I, I would agree with uh, Andrew's interpretation there because I had a frustrating time reading this as well. It's like, dude, just slap yourself, like, like exactly like go go fishing maybe not with friends because he would find some complex layer there just by yourself <laughs> just go by yourself or something like where you can't be a fraud and just with no people around you and and uh find some way to get your mind off this because he was really beating this down uh really beating beating a dead horse here but that said that was necessary to kind of get his point across in the end which i came with it came out with relief and thought you know maybe that would kind of you know it was not until after he died that he realized but th this was a natural thought like of course of course you know as i spoke about earlier but there were points where you're like you know during those especially those first 40 45 pages where you're like gosh this is frustrating not boring not, i highly recommend you read it like not not frustrating as in boring or like a, but frustrating as in like come on dude like just Slap yourself in the face or something, but uh, I don't know. I don't know what uh, you you guys thought. Well, D David Foster Wallace gives us an excruciating picture of what it's like to be in this guy's head. He 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 doesn't, you know, sort of the 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 analysis on top of analysis on top of analysis is frustrating. You know, I, I I'm not going to pretend pretend that it's not, but it makes for me it made the catharsis at the end all the better when when he finally finds a way out of, I guess, I don't know what to say, pathological thinking or this dilemma that he's facing. This, Yeah, and, but and, he had to do that by taking his own life. Well, no, he, he didn't, in fact. So he, he, he is a sort of a, he's sort of a, a little shit about Dr. Gustafsson and, and, and he thinks he's very superior to him and that he sees through Gustafsson. But he also thinks that the meditation teacher, whose name is escaping me at the moment, but, you know, master so-and-so, sees through his BS. And that if he went back, he might find a way through trap that he's in, but he chooses not to go there. Right? So he, he, he's spending all this time in therapy, and he goes to this meditation retreat, and he goes to this church, purportedly looking for a way out of his problem. But when he finally finds someone who he thinks sees through him, whether or not that's actually true, I mean, I guess that's up for debate, but he's convinced that this meditation teacher sees through him and is subtly mocking him in several ways. He doesn't go back to him. He's too ashamed. Right? So this this is this is a this is a deeply screwed up person. Yeah, that's a really good point, Fran. I didn't think about that. I don't know. Was his was killing himself a sincere act, or was that also fraudulent? Do you think the, the letter kind of seemed fraudulent? <laughs> even when he was writing the letter, I I I I even got the sense that he was having this crisis of fraudulence. Like he was trying to paint a very good rosy picture of himself, or I, I don't know. Uh, but I, I'll let you get more to the crux of the of of uh, of the question. If you, I just that's I figured I'd point that out. Like as he was writing the letter, I did. Also get that impression as well, <laughs> right? So he's he's got all this sort of I don't know what to call it, sort of meta analysis of his own suicide, right? It's like you know this this would be a dramatic moment, right? And and I'm writing the letter so as to seem like a good and sincere person who was just a little too 
sensitive for this world, but this is itself fraudulent. Like, the, the, you know, it's exhausting. It's, it's exhausting, right? It's, 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 it's the, the whole extent to which this guy's obsessed with his life being a performance. Um, so I, I don't think, I don't think the suicide was a, a sincere act. I think he has a moment of clarity as a result of the suicide, but I, I, I don't think, I, I, I don't think necessarily that I, I, I don't know if it makes sense to analyze it in terms of whether the act was sincere or fraudulent. Cause I don't think this guy, this guy's problem is fundamentally about his intentions. So yeah, he's extremely calculating Machiavellian and, and that comes through in the way he describes his professional life and his romantic life and the way he analyzes Dr. Uh, Gustafsson, which I thought was amusing, but it's kind of brutal to be honest. It, it, no, it, it is brutal, but it, you know, it's also, also a little bit funny. Um, and, um, he, uh, but I don't think his problem is fundamentally his intentions because he has this moment where he's in the telling Dr. Gustafson about his time at the church in Naperville and he wasn't pretending to speak in tongues, right? He, he, he wasn't like, it wasn't, he has this moment where he says, you know, can you be a fraud? if you don't know that you're being a fraud and he still thinks he's a fraud, right? So, so this guy thinks he's a fraud, even when he's trying to be sincere, which is why his, his dilemma seems so hopeless. Right. And, and I think, I think that that moment of him describing his experiences at this charismatic church and saying they were fraudulent, even though I wasn't consciously performing, Right, the fact that they were fraudulent at some subconscious level is enough to declare them fraudulent. I think that gets right to the heart of what what uh, the story means when it says that you're a fraud. Right, it doesn't mean that you have bad intentions. It doesn't mean that you're deliberately deceiving. It means that no matter how hard you try, anything you show the world is only a partial truth. And is inherently performative, and that's that's part of what makes it so. Uh, I don't know what else to say, but just so difficult to be a person. But that's the bleakest possible interpretation of the reality, you know. Like I agree with them that yeah, you only ever present a slice. But like I said before, it's like I disagree that that you know that you can that. A reasonable takeaway from that is that you are a fraud in some sense, you know? Right. So I don't think you're a fraud, like in a deep metaphysical sense. I think when he says fraud, I think he's just describing what it feels like to have to cope with this reality, at least for him. And it certainly didn't feel that way for me uh, until I read this book. But what, what, as I was reading it and thinking about it, I was like, at some less, at some fundamental level, I've always felt this way, right? I've, I've, I, and I, I never articulated, I never realized it, but at some fundamental level, I felt fraudulent because being a person in the world is inherently performative, and. You know, I don't I, I don't think the point of the story is that you're a fraud and there's no hope. I think the point of the story is that you need to forgive yourself for the fact 
that you are incapable of expressing who you truly are. And, and, and it's that moment of self-forgiveness that I just found so, I'm, this is just going to sound banal, but just so incredibly powerful and cathartic and liberating and wonderful, right? I just, I, I mean, I can't say enough positive things about this story. So there's your take. That, go, go read this story. It, it is worth it. And it doesn't take too long to all, all things considered. Yeah. And that is, that is definitely not something I thought of, Francisco. But, you know, now that you mention it is, um, you know, is, is a pretty, you know, beautiful takeaway from this story. And I think, you know, the reason I didn't think of that is because it is something that, you know, most people take for granted. You know, I think most people, um, kind of acknowledge that there's no way we could present our true selves because, you know, one, we're, we're very, very complex. And two, you know, the person on the other side of the conversation has his own true self or her, her own true self and, uh, you know, may not have the time or, or, or the desire to hear it. They want to hear, you know, and so it goes back to, you know, presenting the best aspects of yourself or kind of selecting, um, you know, what you want to present to those around you. And now that's right. The one action of fraud, not necessarily not expect you to perform, but they, they need you to perform, right? There just isn't enough time for all the detail. So, I mean, there's, there's fundamentally nothing wrong with the fact that you can't express or present the totality of yourself in any given situation or at all. Right. I mean, even, even with your closest friends, it's, it's, you just, there's just some things that are beyond words. Um, of course, to quote David Foster Wallace. Of right. What did you all think of the ending, the last three words of the story, which I have to say are very powerfully experienced as a uh, audio book or audio story? I will say, you know, to be honest, I was a little thrown off by his introducing himself into the story and didn't know quite what to make of it. I did kind of interpret it along the lines of what we've been talking about. Like sometimes when you have these thoughts or when you have these conflicts, you just have to say, you know what, not another word. This is natural. This is, this is normal and kind of move on instead of fixate on it. That was the interpretation I had. But it may be shallow because I honestly was a little thrown off by his introducing himself into the story. I didn't really know what to make of it. So that was the interpretation I had, like, not another word. I was like kind of in a stage of relief at this point, you know, and like saying, of course, that's what you have to say. Not another word and uh, move on, you know, but be interested to hear what you you thought about it. Well, it's, it's not, so, so obviously the narrator is very smart. And David Wallace or David Foster Wallace are is very smart. And I, I think this story is is partially about how terrible it is to be so very smart because you just, you know, to be so analytical that you're constantly dissecting yourself. I mean, it must have been awful. I'm very pleased that all of this was heretofore in my subconscious. And I never I never had to agonize over being a fraud and and put it, and put all this effort into how I present myself to the world. And you know what I actually took away from the story is that I should probably be a little more of a fraud 
right? I need to think a little more about presenting myself. I need to think a little more about coming across well to people. And that's actually a kindness that you do to other people, right? The, The shaping of your personality isn't inherently evil or a bad thing. It's a necessary act. And if you, if done with the right intention and for a noble purpose is a good thing and that I should probably cultivate that a little bit. But I mean, I, I think the whole story, I mean, being about the inadequacy of words and, and then ending so abruptly with not another word, it was just an inspired touch. I, I, you know what? Screw it, guys. I'm just going to go ahead and read again. Okay. With David Wallace also fully aware that the cliche that you can't truly know what's going on inside somebody else is uh, hoary and insipid, insipid, and yet at the same time trying very consciously to prohibit the awareness from mocking the attempt or sending the whole line of thought into the sort of inbent spiral that keeps you from ever getting anywhere. Considerable time having passed since 1981, of course, and David Wallace having emerged from years of literally indescribable war with himself with quite a bit more firepower than he he had had at Aurora West. The realer, more enduring, and sentimental part of him, commanding the other part to be silent, as if looking at it lovely in the eye and saying almost aloud, not another word. Yeah, it's a great paragraph. Fran, if I can push back, I mean, before when you were saying that, like, he, Dave Foster Wallace introduced himself as a way to sort of deflect the claims that this is put against him, right? I feel like that, I mean, when you rereading this again, it seems like he's doing the opposite. It's like he's putting it all on top of himself and at the same time, like, saying that it's bad. Because, like, how do we read this? He's saying that, like, oh, you know, this sort of spiraling, you know, meta-level thinking of always sort of stepping ahead and ahead and ahead. He's like, you know, he's saying in the last paragraph that that's not bad. In fact, the bad part is the sense that when you, you'd you always try to be meta and mocking that attempt and, and like thinking one step ahead. And he's saying to that very directly, not another word. He's like the realer part of him, the part that he thinks is more sincerely him, is telling the part of him that wants to always be a little bit more clever or a little bit more on top of things than, than everybody else is saying like, shut up, not another word. Well, and, and, and it's so satisfying because the entire story you want to tell, uh, not David Wallace necessarily, but the narrator to shut up. Right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's like exactly what you want to say. I slap this guy. And then, so the, the, the ending would not another word is just very, very satisfying. And, and I love it how he acknowledges that, what he's saying, you know, you could you could express it in a way that does sound cliched and hoary and insipid, but at the same time is one of the most profound truths that you could possibly experience, right? I mean, you know, just saying, oh, like people are a mystery and, you you know, it's, it sounds, you know, because I'm not a literary genius. I can't say it in the words that make it sound brilliant like uh, David Foster Wallace did, but – Fundamentally, that's what he, you could reduce what he's saying to that. But that, like, he's just—I he, just think it's a—I don't even know. I, I think it's a brilliant deconstruction of well, how poisonous words can be, how poisonous left-brain thinking can be. Yeah, and I, I think that kind of goes along with 
what I mentioned, you know, sometimes you just have to say to that more analytical, you know, just more kind of obsessing over one thought. We all do that at times. You just have to say not another word. And I think I agree with you, friend, that in itself was very powerful. And though I, I was confused by, you know, his introducing himself, that was what I took away from it. You know, sometimes you just have to say, like, shut up, not another word, and uh, and move on. And, and that was very powerful. Just and The thing is, as I talk about this story, as I analyze it, as I'm, as I'm describing this ending to you, everything I'm saying feels dumb and inadequate, right? And that's, that's in a way, that's kind of the point. <laughs> you, you know, it, it's, it, there's just very much like what it is to be a person, this story, the, all this analysis is just, in some ways, it's beside the point. Just go read this damn thing, people. Like, it's just, or or you know, or listen to it in the car. I endorse that way of experiencing the But only in the fog. Only in the fog. Late at night in Tennessee. I, I, will, I will say, I wasn't like, I, this didn't like, you know, rock me to my core the way it seems to have, have hit you. But I, I will agree. It was a, it was a good read. I'm glad I read it. Right. Well, I, I think a lot of the the way I experienced the story is is somewhat right time, right place. But in my very humble opinion, this is one of the greatest short stories ever written. Wow. All right. Well, on that note, gentlemen, maybe we'll just conclude the podcast with not another word. Nice. Hey, everyone. This is Swampy, and I just wanted to make sure that you subscribe to The Brothers F on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you have Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, make sure to follow us there, too. See you next time on The Brothers F.